Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to market and write about your products without compromising your reputation or the integrity of your personal brand. My guest today is a professional copywriter who doesn't like uh, the hype and the high pressure trickery you find in so much online marketing. I think you'll recognize someone else there. I think we have a similar viewpoints. He has written copy for some of the world's biggest brands, including Citibank, Apple, Chrysler, MSN.com, New York Times, so on and so forth. There's too many to say right now. He attributes his success to what he calls conversational copywriting, and he's here today to share this approach with us. So, Nikos Bond, welcome aboard. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Looking forward to it. So when you mention hype and high pressure trickery, I have this image in my head because I've been thinking about that for a long time. And as you know, this <laughs> podcast has, um, is fighting against this, this bullshit. Uh, but I'm curious without really giving too many details on my side, I'm curious, how, how do you define this hype and high pressure trickery you see in online marketing these days? Let me fill in a little backstory. The best way for me to explain that is, is I started out I've been, I've been doing this, next year is my 40th anniversary as a professional copywriter. So I'm old and still standing. And the first 20 years, I was writing for traditional media. It was before the web. And back then, I was in direct marketing. I was writing junk mail. So I, I kind of started off in that whole direct marketing approach of kind of selling at people at high volume, high pace, high volume, rush, rush, hurry, hurry, buy now. And, you know, back when I was younger and I, and I, like, I was like, I was never really, I was, I was never really comfortable with that, but I did it. It was a living. I was young, you know, and then along came the web and man, that was like an epiphany for me. Cause I wrote my first website back in 1995 and I suddenly realized, well, wait a minute, this is so different. This is not a broadcast medium. This is a multi-way medium. This is like a conversational even back then, a social medium, before the arrival of kind of social media tools, it was back in the 90s, it was already a social medium. And I thought, well, how cool is that? Because now we can sell in a whole different way. I can actually engage with people and talk with people and talk with them in my natural, enthusiastic, conversational voice, but without that old broadcast hype thing. Now, I, you know, it was nice to dream in 1995 that that's the way marketing online would be. Uh, and it hasn't quite turned out that way because, as you know, the, there's still more than enough bullshit and hype out there uh, to drown us all. But but that was, to me, that that's the kind of transition from old-school one-way broadcast media to online two-way, multi-way medium where you can engage, you can use natural conversational persuasive language, and you can do it without being a dick about it. You can You can just be genuine and you can still sell at the same time so so that was kind of my epiphany in the late 90s and i've been beating that drum ever since and uh i mean i i kind of i still enjoy it because so many people push back and disagree with me um but but it so it drives me nuts in one way but it kind of i don't know it keeps me interested in another way because like like people insist still hey it's in social media it's social media right you know you, you get a facebook there's a comment stream and you, so many companies use facebook as a broadcast medium here's our sale here's our pitch price doubles at midnight tonight and if somebody actually makes a comment does the company come back and reply to that comment most of the time no 
It's, it's like nuts. We've got this beautiful, amazing multi-way medium and most companies just can't shut up long enough to realize this opportunity there to engage with people in everyday language. So I'm, I'm ranting now. You should just, just interrupt me whenever you No, no, you want I, I do enjoy the ranting. That's what I prefer. So one <laughs> way is actually companies talking at you in a medium that should be a two-way kind of conversation and they, they don't answer back. So that's one of the things that you don't necessarily enjoy. What else do you see online being done that is against your philosophy? Oh, you, now you're really encouraging me. All mm -hmm. right. So, so what I, there, there is a certain group of online marketers who, like me, totally understand the power of the conversational approach because conversational marketing, conversational copywriting, when done, I mean, when done in any way, I guess, is, is disarming. It removes barriers. It, it, people feel more comfortable. It's the opposite of trying to hide from a used car salesman. And there are certain marketers who realize the power of conversational writing, and then they utterly abuse it. So I might get an email, and I get emails like this, uh, <clears throat> saying, yo, Nick, or Nick, buddy, comma. I was walking back from the beach with my wife this morning, and I suddenly thought about you. And I, and I just stop at that point, and I think, you fucker, you did not think of me. You're lying. And what they're doing is they're, because I, I know that they wrote that email six months ago. They stuck it in this automated funnel, sales funnel. They're pretending to be conversational, but they're not. They're just abusing it. And they're, they're abusing it because they understand its power, is that when you do engage with someone as if they were a real person, as opposed to a demographic or, heaven forbid, a persona, but if you actually address someone as a real person in a conversational style, then, yeah, people are receptive to that. So I, I hate the automation, you know, high-end automation of false conversation, that kind of false buddy thing. I mean, that really pisses me off. And we can see that a lot in uh, the new technology like chatbots. In particular, I feel a bit uneasy with those sometimes because I do have the same sense, like they're trying to be too conversational when we very much know it's fully automated. And I guess together now, what we'll do is how to do, how to do that the right way to make sure that you write copy that converts, that persuades people, but that doesn't make you uh, lose the reputation you've been building. I just want to make right. a point though. To me, all the stuff you say makes perfect sense. And I, I agree with them. The one thing I would challenge you on is the word itself, the conversational marketing. What I'm afraid of when we come up with those terms like inbound marketing, direct response marketing, conversational marketing, and all of that bullshit, in a sense, it's all the same thing. It's good marketing, right? It's just, and so I appreciate the fact that you are naming it because this is what you want to own. This is what you specialize in. But would you agree, which is a very leading question, but would you agree that it's conversational marketing is about just being a good marketer, doing good marketing? Yes. Yes, I would. Great. So I name it, I name it because I'm marketing it. <laughs> so I, I've had conversations, I, I have this friend um, in England, Drayton Bird. So I've been doing this for 40 years. Drayton has been a professional copywriter for 62 years. He used to, he used to work in the same office as David Ogilvy. So Drayton has been around forever. And, and we, we talk and I've interviewed him. And we, I talk about conversational copywriting and he says, hey, all good copywriting has always been conversational. And he's right. And, and like some of my favorite 
conversational copywriting actually predates the web. It's like when I was starting out in the late 1970s, early 1980s, uh, I had some like real favorites in terms of writers of press advertising in London. That's where I started out as a copywriter. And those guys that, and girls that you, you'd read there, and I used to, I, used to I, was, I was such an enthusiastic beginner as a copywriter. I used to find these favorite ads and I'd read them out loud. And when you read them out loud, it just truly sounded like a friend talking to you. It, it was amazing. So I think the best copywriting has always been conversational before the web and after the web. I give it a name simply as a way to describe it and to try and create some distinction between and also to bring it closer to the whole nature of online marketing is because to me, online marketing by if it's not conversational slash social, then what are you doing? Why don't you understand this place? Right. So I think we've been ranting enough and uh, for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> and now let's go about a practical way for if you're listening to this podcast right now on how you can write copy that persuades people and yet that doesn't tarnish your reputation and all of that. So how do you start with conversational marketing, uh, conversational copywriting, starting from step one? What is the step, the first step you need to take to do this? I think in a sense, it's to, it's, it's to take everything you've learned. If you, if you have learned anything about marketing, writing, and copywriting, just try to put that aside a little bit to the back of your head. The, the tips, the tricks, the classic openings, the middle, the close, all, all that stuff. Um, just try to put it aside a bit. And imagine instead, and, and this is a kind of, I don't know, hackneyed or a tried and true sort of analogy of, you know, imagine you're sitting at your kitchen table with a coffee and I'm, and I'm talking to you or I'm talking to a neighbor or I'm talking to my mother-in-law and I'm selling you on a vacation or a movie we're going to go to or, or, or whatever. And I want to persuade you. For sure, you should come with us to Cancun, you know, mother-in-law. And I'll be persuasive, but I'll do it in the way that we all are. I think we all have this natural ability to be persuasive through conversation. I don't know if you have kids, but if you have kids, you know this already. The kid will say, hey, dad, I want to stay up late. I want this iPhone. Uh, can I go to this party? And if you don't immediately say yes, they will get into conversational persuasive mode. And these can be some of the most persuasive, you know, that they can, a kid can be an eight-year-old or an 18-year-old can be more persuasive than the best advertiser on the planet. And, and they're not, they don't sound like marketers. They don't sound like copywriters. They sound like enthusiastic kids who really want something and they want to change and they want, they want you to say yes. So it's, you know, we are all selling all the time. We're always selling. We're selling to our spouses, to our friends, to our colleagues, to ourselves. But we don't sound like marketers most of the time, you know, outside of the marketing environment. So one of the other things I say when, when companies come to me and say, well, we don't even know whether our copy is conversational or not. And I said, well, that's easy. Again, sit down at the table in front of someone who's not a colleague, but a neighbor, a friend you don't work with. Uh, go to the about page on your website or a sales page or an email, read it out loud to them in front of them, look them in the eye. And I said, if you start squirming and feeling embarrassed, talk, reading that sales copy to a friend, then that's not conversational. It's, it's just sneaky copywriting. If you're reading the about page on your website and you think, oh, 
fuck, this sounds really boring, as you read it out loud, then, yeah, it's probably really boring business speak nonsense you've got on your about page. So I always, as, as a kind of diagnostic tool, I just say to people, read it out loud and, and not to your close colleague. Read it out loud. Imagine, you know, someone who would read it, a prospective customer, a stranger, a neighbor, whatever. Read whatever you've written out loud. If you're embarrassed because it sounds salesy, rewrite it. If it's boring because it's like business speak, rewrite it. Hey, it's, it's like we all have this natural ability to write persuasively, and it's kind of beaten out of us. It's beaten out of us at school, taught how to write so that we pass exams, and it gets worse when we get into university. And then if we get to a PhD, our writing becomes incomprehensible to everyone except our fellow students and professors. Then we go to business school, and God help us, and then we go to work in a company, and we're taught to write in, and sometimes, like, our reading... I got, an, I got an example here. Can I read you an example? Of course. All right. So, and I read, this is, this is a piece of copy of the website for an advertising agency. All right. I can't even remember the name of the company, but here's a sentence they wrote. Apply design thinking and stimulate creativity through co-creation initiatives. Now, I mean, I feel like an idiot reading that out loud, because to be honest, I'm not quite sure what it means. But I did, I, I translated it once. And I think what they're trying to say is have better ideas by working together. <laughs> so the first version is just marketing nonsense. Apply design thinking and stimulate creativity through co-creation initiatives. And so many companies and businesses write like that. And I've no idea where they learn. I, I, I couldn't write like that if I tried. And what the, like I say, what they're trying to say is have better ideas by working together. Why can't people just say the latter version? Why, why do we have to dress stuff up so it's salesy or it's business-like? Because it gets in the way of conversation. Hey, so if, if, if companies want to grow or if, 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 we're, you know, if you were talking to someone like a startup and they're going to say to you, oh, yeah, we don't have this huge budget, we'd love to get some word of mouth happening. Well, of course you would. We'd all love some word of mouth. Well, how do you create word of mouth? Word of mouth needs to be stuff that people can talk about, they can share. And if you want word of mouth, you need to be conversational in your language and how you describe things and how you talk about your business and your company and your promises. I'm not saying don't sell, just do it in natural language because people, you, you can't generate word of mouth with weird business writing or pushy sales writing. You, you generate this word of mouth by just simple communication, everyday language that people can share. I've never thought of it this way. Genuinely, I've never did, but it makes perfect sense. Exactly. If you want people to share your stuff, then if they don't understand it, if they are not able to, to explain it in their own words, then, then you're basically fucked, right? So the first step is to make sure that what you write can be shared by someone else in their own words and as close your copy can be to real words that people, real people use, the better. So to, to summarize your step one, which is a contrarian view on things, but I've, 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 I think Ogilvy, I'm not sure if it's Ogilvy who, who shared that, you know, talk to one person, not the entire stadium. Like when you write copy, right. yes. is it him? I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure who first said it. <laughs> but anyway, this concept helped me a lot when I wrote copy as well, which is like, I know why I used to write shitty copy is when you start to, first of all, think of the, um, this entire sea of people you need to write to. And then you start putting words because you expect this is what a company like us should be writing about, like all those design thinking and all of those 
those complicated words. But instead, as you said, it's if you if you switch your thinking to okay, let's just you know let me try to convince someone that I don't really know, but just across the table from me to try your service, you naturally start doing some things things like asking questions, right? You naturally right. start saying, do you feel a bit stressed right now? Um, do you feel like you need a break? Yeah, I guess so. And therefore, you know, I might, you know, might be a good idea to, to go, to go somewhere, you know, abroad, right? And it might be a good idea to go to whatever place is sunny right now because it's raining in, in Ireland, et cetera, et cetera. What, instead of saying best deals ever on holidays for whatever, 2018, if you don't get it now, it's going to get lost, et cetera. So I'm not trying to reword, to reword what you said, because you said it went much better than I did. I'm just trying to summarize it for listeners because they, they seem to like that when I do it. So I keep <laughs> doing it. So now that our thinking is about, let's talk to one person, like you would talk normally to one person instead of using jargon and all of that. Let's go into the practicality of, of writing. You mentioned an about page, or you mentioned rewriting a page. So what, what exact example would, I, would you like to use so we can get very practical into it? Uh, do you want to start from like scratch and teach people how to do that or maybe rewriting something? Do you have any preference? I can certainly go through a kind of process of, of how I, like if a company comes to me with an about page and says, should we rewrite this? And I look at it and I think, yes, you probably should. And they say, well, how would you go about that? I can go through that process if that would help. Let's do it. All right. So I, I'm, a, I'm a complete, as, as well as using the word conversational to describe copy, I'm actually, I'm a huge conversation geek. I think conversation is such a key part of our lives. Hey, your first date with your, with your wife was a conversation. Your job interview was a conversation. Your relationship with your kids depends on the conversations you have with them. Conversations are like at the heart of all of our relationships in life. And the weird thing about that is we are, well, I'll certainly speak for myself and I'll probably speak for a lot of people. Uh, I'm really, really bad at conversations because I tend not to listen enough and I tend to talk too much. And when the other person's talking, sometimes I find myself waiting for them and just like hurry up and stop talking so that I can carry on saying what I want to say. And that, of course, is a crappy conversation. It's not a good conversation. So, so I, think an under, I think step one is to understand what a good conversation is. And the starting point of any good conversation or any good conversational copy is to shut up and listen. And it turns out that the web, as opposed to old school media, is an outstanding place to listen. Companies don't do it or they pay lip service to it, but it's an amazing place to listen. So if you're selling aromatherapy oils, on your website and, and you're saying, Nick, help me rewrite this in a conversational way. I'm gonna to say to you, okay, first, take me to places where your customers hang out. Let's go to some amazon.com pages where there are product reviews for your stuff and your competitors' stuff. I wanna read the language of your visitors. I wanna hear the phrases that they use. I don't wanna hear the blah, blah, blah about the language that you wanna use. I wanna to listen to what your customers and prospects, the language and the terms and the phrases you use. At this point, I usually get into a big fight with their SEO expert or whatever, because sometimes I'm being slightly facetious, but sometimes an SEO person will say, oh, no, I've done the research. This is the phrase that has fantastic supply demand ratio. It has a you know, high sky keyword effectiveness index. And I'm saying, well, that's great. But who the fuck's going to use that phrase? Because your customers are not using it. 
like your customers for this, they may that they, they may use it for a, like some competitor or something, but they're not going to use it for this business. So I'm I I just want to listen first. I can go to social media streams and listen. I can go to other kind of forums, other areas and listen. And what I'm looking for, I'm looking for the language of the customer. I'm also looking for their emotional touch points. What excites them? What bores them? What makes them angry? What delights them? What makes them laugh? What makes them really interact? Once I've got that, and, and, I've, and meanwhile, I'm watching the client's lips move, but I'm not really listening because I'm, I'm, I'm going to really, really listen to what the, the customer, their language, their priorities, their emotions. And then when I start to write that page or any page or any email or anything, I'm going to start mirroring the language of the customer. So let me stop you there because that's yeah perfect way to tease it out to step three at this stage, I would say. But step two is to actually listen. Yes. Uh, now, you mentioned a few spots where you actually listen to people in real life, where actual people hang out, which is like a crazy idea, isn't it? Amazon.com <laughs> reviews seem to be a good place. I know Jonah Weeb on the podcast mentioned a similar, a similar place. Is, are there any other places where you'd recommend people to, to listen to their customers? Like any good places you found to be quite effective to, to truly understand them? Um, hey, anywhere, anywhere on social media that has comments enabled, um, though sometimes they, those comment streams can degrade very quickly. Um, other places is I've been involved with websites and have websites where I actively encourage the participation of the reader. I, I, I treat them as co-creators of content. I invite uh, visitors, visitor-created content on the website. How do you do that? Uh, mainly, I say, ask me a question. Ask me a question. So I actually have a, like a hobby website all about coffee. Mm -hmm. And I invite people, ask me a question about gourmet coffee. And people come in and ask me questions. And what I do is I take their question and turn that into the headline of the post. Give me an example. Right, I, cre I create, I'll give you a classic example. Where can I find an automatic coffee maker with no plastic parts? You see, I would... As a marketer and as a coffee guy, I'm a coffee geek as well as being a conversation geek, and there's a bit of a crossover there, but it would never occur to me to ask that question, where can I buy an automatic coffee maker without any plastic parts? Like, not a French press, I want an automatic coffee maker with no plastic parts, because people are suspicious and increasingly suspicious for not bad reasons about plastics and hot water. So I created that page, and I used their, their question as the headline. And then I, I invite them to expand on the question, which then becomes the first paragraph. So in fact, the, the headline in the first paragraph of each of those Q&A pages is the words of a visitor, not me, not the marketer, not the owner. Then I simply answer the question. And I have found like probably over 50% of the pages on that particular website are generated in this way, but they probably represent something like 75% of the traffic and probably close to 80% of my search engine traffic. And again, it's because as a marketer, as an SEO person, which I am, I'm stepping back and I'm saying, no, allow my, allow my visitors, my prospects to speak. Let's listen to their language. Let me listen to their interests and priorities. Like I'd never guess, like, hey, it's weird. Like, is coffee fattening? I've had hundreds of thousands of people come to that page. I would never have created that page. It would never have occurred to me to create that page. But somebody asked the question, the page was created. There are 
hundreds of thousands of people out there who want to know where the coffee's fattening. So that, that you know, the, the more active you are in your listening, like, so I don't just go out and look at what people are saying on forums. Like if I have, if, if I control an environment of my own, like with my site about coffee, I invite readers to contribute and to be co-creators. And that way I can really tap into the language they use, the priorities they have. And then when I create a page, like let's say I'm, I'm now going to create a page about choosing coffee makers. I'm now going to have a subhead or a section in there about plastics free coffee makers because I'm listening. And when I'm listening, all of a sudden I don't have to shout anymore. I don't have to push so hard because I know what people want. I know what language they use. I know what excites them. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing focus groups. I'm not getting together with a bunch of marketing experts. I'm not following some fancy process or template or automation sequence or <laughs> all, all that stuff. And, and I'm not saying none of it has any place. I use all of those things with care. But first off, if I'm going to be conversational, I got to be a better listener, and I think that is. I think that is. I don't know which step we're at now. Is this still step two? We're at step two. Is, we're still at step two. Is is not? Don't just listen as a. Oh, okay. We just got to put in half an hour's listening before we move to step three. Like, like, really make an effort to listen and be an active listener and, and do something that draws in the language because. Hey, psychologists will tell you, you, you had that great interview a while ago um, with, who was it, Richard Shotton? Mm -hmm. He was, was talking about cognitive bias and, and the psychology of selling and stuff like that. And I've lost my train now. What was I saying? It's okay. <laughs> Let me go back to one thing. Right. Because what you said is super interesting in two points. One, you can go to places and listen passively in a sense that things have been already said and you can just collect that and, and kind of soak in the the words they say on Amazon and whatnot. The other thing right. that you say is more an active way to listen, which is you, you create conversations, you create content from people in a way that you can like reuse that later. So asking for questions, which is why forums that you own or communities that you own is a great place or, or just posting on Quora about like, what's your biggest challenge as a coffee maker as a coffee aficionado like what do you struggle with uh, the most and actively seeking people to tell you what they think uh, and then what you said which i love and this is what i discovered a few years ago when i started to talk to smart people like you i realized that copywriters don't actually come up with copy that much anymore or that much at all they are really the best copywriter seems to be the best listeners the ability to turn what people tell them into copy that really sounds like shit. I have actually exactly the same thought in my head. How the fuck does he know or does she know? Um, and so I'm glad you're mentioning that as a, as a way to do that. Cause it seems like all the smart copywriters out there are, are having doing that kind of stuff. And then you started to talk about writing a bit, uh, in the same time, but it sounds like step two is, is listening. Now, do you have a system in place to collect those? bits of copy, I suspect after a while, you need a place to store them, right? So where do you store them? How do you keep this system? It's, it's something I think that I should do, but, uh, but I often don't. So if I, like I say, if, if, if I own the asset, like on, on that site about coffee, you know, I can dip back in there at any time. So if a company can have some kind of asset where they are uh, actively asking questions, they can come back. There have been occasions where I've done something as simple as just open up an Excel spreadsheet 
and I've thrown in quotes and text that I've heard from people. And I just copy and paste them into there so I can go back in. But you were one of the points you made about I don't need to write copy. I don't need to be too write too much copy. If I've been listening well enough and carefully enough, I can simply reflect back so that people think, oh my goodness, this guy gets me, this company gets me, this business gets me. That's exactly what I want. This is exactly what we talked about in the meeting this morning. This is exactly what my wife asked for um, earlier today. If some other great, some other writer, and I, again, I always forget who they were, but said the smartest way to sell is to enter into a conversation your prospect is already having. And that's that's perfect, right? And 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 that is again, that is conversational. It is entering into a conversation that your that your prospect is already having. Because then you don't have to work, you don't have to push, you're just there as someone who actually has an answer to a problem or the solution to a problem or just simply the product they want on that day at that moment. So so it means you have to, you know, you're gonna be putting less push and less effort into selling if you can better understand where your audience is at and what they're looking for and asking for. And, and very much you do that through, through language. And that, that's why I was talking about, um, about psychology, that, that whole thing of mirroring the language of others. If you use a particular phrase to me and I mirror it back to you, that's why if you go to therapy and you say, oh, I hate blah, 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 the therapist says, what I'm hearing you say is, and they repeat back your own phrase. And, and it's kind of weird in that context. But the therapist does it because they know that as soon as I hear my own words being repeated back to me, I will feel, oh, okay, that person gets me. And there's this, all of a sudden, there's this deeper level of engagement. You can do the same, not in a manipulative, sneaky way, but in a genuine way. If you genuinely listen and you pick out those phrases and concerns and you just reflect them back. And again, this is speaking to what you just said. One of the things I've found as a conversational copywriter is I have to let go of my ego a lot. So when I started out as a print copywriter, it was all about writing ads that would win awards, right? We all, we all wanted to get up on the, on the stage and get awards. So we came up with these really, really clever headlines and these, this really, really clever copy. And we were writing as much to sort of the judge panel as we were to our end, our end readers. And, and I think online, as a conversational copywriter, you have to kind of let go that, that kind of pride or that ego and say, look, it's, it's not my job to come up with a clever piece of copy. It's my job to meet the prospect's concerns head on. And the best way I can do that is by using the language that they use. And they're then going to feel, oh, wow, this company gets me. So in the example of the, the marketing agency where you read the, this sentence that, sound, that sounded a lot like jargon. So let's say we want to rewrite this about us page, uh, this about page to make it much more conversational based on, based on what you just said after listening. Uh, what would be then the type of things you like to include in this about page? What type of things do you want to listen to and, and keep a record of so you can rewrite this page to be much more conversational? Well, I'd usually, I'd like to challenge a company beyond just the language and what they're saying. I'm saying, hey, if this is an about us page, if this is your about us, about the business, about the company, but you're not the only person who can talk about that. Why, why, why don't you have the about us page in the words of your customers? Why, why don't we go out in the street? Why don't we go out with a microphone? Why don't we go out to where your customers are? 
Why don't, why, why don't we surprise them with a microphone and a camera? Why don't we shoot this on video? Why don't we have a conversation with your customers and ask them, you know, if you had to say a few words about us for our About Us page, what would they be? And like you say with this podcast, don't edit it or don't over-edit it. So now, do you see how different that is? It's not just about the words. It's about the mindset. Is get out of the mindset of that command and control. So, so much of la- like that language I read out to you about, about through co-creation initiatives, that, that's a kind of command and control approach to language and communication where we're, we're going to use words. And in that case, almost as a wall, almost as a barrier, because it's kind of so hard to understand. So instead of this sense that we have to be the boss, we have to be in control of the language, of the conversation, of the dialogue, let that all go and, and try, like I say, something about us, page. great. Grab a microphone, get it, even with your iPhone, is for the video, whatever. Go out and talk to some customers. Say, hey, we're trying, we wanted to write our About Us page and we thought maybe you guys should do it instead. Please continue and, and just play with it. Now, can every company in the world do that? Maybe not. Maybe it'd be super uncomfortable for some companies. But other companies, particularly a startup, particularly, I don't know, it's... There's such an opportunity to be different here and to be more opaque and uh, not opaque, transparent. <laughs> the opposite, <laughs> an opportunity to be more opaque. No, thank you, Nick. Um, an opportunity to be more transparent and available uh, to your prospects and customers. Make them smile. Make them feel they can trust you, that they can engage with you, that they want to engage with you and do business with you. And do you know what's funny? I feel that what you're talking about is very relevant to the concept of interviewing people like we're doing right now or like, like, like I am doing right now. But that's all, that's what I always say. I never feel like I'm interviewing someone. I may mostly feel like having just a conversation. And my role is to listen as much as I can so that when I sp- spot something that you say that I find interesting, I'm going to almost interrupt you and say, can you give me more detail? Or I'm going right. to jump to another topic that is relevant. And what I feel sometimes from interviews that I don't really enjoy listening to, especially in the marketing podcast world, is mostly based on I have a series of questions that I want to put across and ask the guest. And I don't really give a shit about what this person says because I want to move on to the next question anyway. And <laughs> this is what I hated about marketing podcasts. And this is also why I created my own because I felt... I felt I didn't feel like this was my thing. Anyway, I, I don't want to talk too much about me because it's all about you. But the thing I'm wondering right now, and I know listeners suffer from that because I do receive a lot of emails about it, is this kind of imposter syndrome feeling about writing. You know, I, I do suffer from it sometimes. You know, I'm not a good copywriter. I'm not even a copywriter. How am I supposed to write stuff on my website to convince people? How do you convince people to actually realize that they can do that well in a way i think that's everything we've been talking about is is that you really hey i was reading like i I teach a lot of copywriters and i received a a kind of homework assignment from someone yesterday and she had written this email and i'm not sure where she had kind of learned originally learned the craft of copywriting but the the body of the email was kind of classic. It had a careful opening and a middle and a close and an end, and it was like all correctly done. And then she'd added a PS. And the PS, she'd somehow forgotten her copywriting training, and it was like really written by her. And you could just 
feel it. Just so different, so different, so compelling. And it wasn't a classic PS of rush, rush, hurry, hurry, call this number. It was, I can't remember what the, how she put it, but suddenly the writer, the writer's heart, her person, like the real person was revealed in this simple sentence at the end. And I just wrote back and said, just rewrite that whole thing in the same tone as the email. So I, I think, hey, there's, in a sense, it's easy for me to say, because uh, I've been doing this for so long and, and the you know, copywriting, I guess, is like very much second nature to me. But I'm very aware that I have as much to forget as I do to learn and that the best copy that I write is actually the copy that comes out, comes out most simply, most unprocessed or uneducated or not, not uneducated in a bad way, but that, that really could be uh, a 12-year-old kid trying to persuade me to go and spend some time playing in the baseball field or, or whatever, that, that natural, organic, persuasive voice. And if you can, like I say, I think, I think good copywriting these days online, certainly conversational copywriting, is as much about letting go what you've learned as it is about learning anything new. And I, I've been playing around with an experiment of writing. I'm a terrible typist, so I do quite a bit of audio stuff. And I've started writing the first draft of stuff actually by dictating mm-hmm. my copy. So just off the top of my head, then I look at the transcript and I edit and play around. And I try starting off with the spoken voice because we do, we, we just have a different way of processing information and sharing information when we speak, when we're in conversation. It's not all good. Uh, you know, carefully listening to this, you'll realize that I've been kind of repeating myself over and over and I get, you know, I digress and stuff like that. So yes, you have to edit. But yeah, I, th- I think if people feel, oh, I'm not trained to do this, uh, I'm not saying hold that up as a badge of honor, but, but don't think of it as a huge impediment to writing good copy. I've seen people start companies um, and have wonderful websites simply, and the, and the writing is, is great because it's not overly overtrained. There's this young couple, and again, it's coffee, they have this coffee club business, subscription coffee club. And there's this, there's this kind of big, bold line on the left of the screen and some smaller copy on the right. And on the left-hand side, it says, we don't want to marry you. And you're like, what? And it's like so interesting, so compelling. You have to read the small copy. And, and, it, and it's all about privacy and it's all about how they're going to treat your, um, you know, how they're going to engage with you and sell to you. And it's, it's about the relationship. But I've spoken with these guys, and that was a husband and wife team. Neither has any marketing or copywriting background. And their copy is so compelling on their website because of that, because it is kind of almost naive. It's totally natural. Uh, Very enthusiastic because they're young, enthusiastic. They're naturally enthusiastic about their business. They love their business. It's a new business. And that shines through. And I think if they'd gone to some agency where that enthusiasm had been kind of processed through the marketing mill, the end result would have been far less compelling. Now, I'm not saying that's always the way to better copy. Uh, clearly, they seem to have some, some kind of talent there in terms of self-expression. But it's a balance. It's a balance, I think, between being uh, natural, conversational, everyday language and at the same time, 
understanding that any sales message has some structure to it. I mean, everything it does have a beginning and a middle and an end. So what's the, what structure would you then recommend people to use without going into those frameworks necessarily in details? But as you said, it's not because you're just taking words that people say and just put them on the page that it's going to make any sense, right? Right. So what do you advise your, your students when you teach copywriting and how to structure something? Well, I guess there, there are a few different things I talk about. One is that before you put pen to paper, uh, always be absolutely 100% clear about the purpose of that page or the purpose of that email or the purpose of a section on a page. Without purpose, it's almost always going to end up as nonsense or confusing. Be absolutely, it, it sounds like a stupidly simple thing. But, but it's not. It is so fundamental to good and bad communication. If you haven't established clearly in your mind the purpose of something, then you ramble, the message is confused. I was reading an email like this this morning. I, honestly, I just could not. And this is, from, this is from an established company that should know better. And I just could not figure out with all my professional skills, I could not figure out what on earth they thought the purpose of that email was. It was purposeless. Uh, so that's really, really important. The next thing I will teach anyone writing any copy is never try to get it right in the first draft. I don't. I'm a multi-draft copywriter. I always have been. Like I said, I've been doing this for 40 years, and, I, and I, I never even try to get it right in the first draft, particularly not headlines. Every time I write a headline or a subject line, I throw in a placeholder. I know it's crap. It's okay. I'm, I'm just All I'm doing is I'm getting past the blank page. And then I start writing and I start rewriting. And as I start writing, like in common with most writers, I think as I write. So, you know, I'll get into line 10 and I suddenly realize, oh, wow, here's the seed of a much better headline. So I rewrite the headline and then I, I go back and I change this and I change that. So I think people get a little stressed out by, oh, my goodness, uh, my first draft has to be perfect or close to really good. It doesn't. It can be crap. I just keep rolling back. I take one step forward and two steps forward, one step back. I'm continually doing this rolling revision. And then sometimes I'll completely rewrite. I never try to get things right on the first thing. So one is purpose. Secondly is take the pressure off by feeling okay about writing a, you know, a not very good first draft. And, and secondly, and I do this, is I will, much to the embarrassment of my family, I'll come down to the dining room or wherever and I'll sit down and I will read it out loud. <laughs> And I will read it out loud to fresh air, but I'm actually thinking of that one person, that this person is the, who I've been writing to all along, and he or she, whatever age or sex she is, is sitting in front of me, and I read it out loud. Uh, does it trip off the tongue naturally? Uh, do I sound like an idiot? Do I sound like a, a used car salesman? Do I actually get confused by my own sentences and my sentences too long? Does it sound natural? Does it sound honest? Would if, if there really was someone in front of me, would I be engaging them or putting them to sleep? And I'm, I'm brutal with myself at that point. Like I'm really, really tough on myself. Is, and, and I also probably, here's the next point in my, in my non-process process, is that there's the ego in, my, in, in the front of my brain. And at the back of my brain, I have this very, very quiet voice. It probably took me about a decade to even hear it. And this is the little voice that when I'm reading something, usually when I'm reading it out loud, there's this tiny voice that says, that was crap. You should go back and rewrite that. 
And for years, I never took any notice of it. And it's usually because this is about the killing your darlings thing. There's sometimes a piece in your copy that you're really proud of, that you think is great. And there's this little voice in the back of your mind saying, it's not great. It's crap. It's just just pure vanity. You, you just love it because it makes you think it makes you look smart, but it's not good communication. And so that's my final tip is when you hear that little voice in the back of your mind telling you something's crap, always listen to that little voice because it's always right. It's always right. Even if it means cutting out the favorite part of your copy and rewriting it. And then go back, read it out, actually read it out loud. And if, you're, if your family can overhear, so much the better. Because if you feel embarrassed while they're listening, uh, there's probably something wrong there. Well, let's repeat what you just said there, which is gold, by the way. And that gives me energy right now. I want to write copy again. And I'm genuinely <laughs> honest with you right here. I genuinely want to, because it's, it's from the way you explain it, it sounds like a very worthwhile activity. But you mentioned one, make sure that there is one purpose for any page you write. Uh, you mentioned two, to just write a shitty first draft and just write it, get it done. So there is no uh, white page anymore, blank page anymore. Uh, three, uh, read it out loud. Uh, whether it's to someone or just to yourself, because it's going to sound different when you read it out loud. And four, listen to your little, the little voice in your head that, you know, that always gives you the feedback you need, but you might not listen to it all the time. I think I've, I'm showing that I'm listening to this, to what you said, right? Because <laughs> I didn't take any notes. So that's all from memory. Oh, okay. Can I, can I, can I, oh, good. So can, can I give you one more overarching tip? It just, and that is love your audience. Like, Love and respect your audience. When you, something like, I know, I know copywriters who look down at their audience with disdain. They look upon them as just basically ciphers with wallets, with credit cards. And their job is to manipulate them and to get them to take out the credit card. There's no, there's no love for that audience. There's no respect for that audience. Uh, I understand that. I understand how people make money doing that. It's not something I like to do. I have absolutely written my best copy when I have deliberately, like, I don't know, felt respect and maybe love is too strong a word, but, but you've got to like who you're writing to. I know my best copy has been for products that I believe in for companies that I like and for audiences that I love. Yeah. Now, outside of that, I've done competent professional work because it's been my job, it's been my career. But my best copy, always, I've loved the audience. And, and, and I think, and, and I don't, a reader would never say, oh, look, there's Nick showing that he loves the audience. It, it's not that obvious. It's kind of this, this undertone, as it were. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's there, and I know it's super powerful. And, and, and again, I think that is why I like the conversational approach, because when I listen and when I write to an individual, it means I see that person. And when you see a person and you're, you feel you are in conversation with a person, and you're not just treating them like a statistic or a number, then it does, it changes your view of that person. It changes the way you write to them when you're writing to a real person in front of you. I would summarize that by, you have to give a shit, right? And I think 
I, I say that for good marketing as well. I, I always challenge people to say, you know, I, I'm looking for a new role in marketing. Which company do you think I should go for? And I always say, go for a company that you admire, a product that you love using yourself because your marketing would be much better. So I think it connects a bit with what you said there. Uh, Nick, right. thanks so much for going through all of that step and step by step with me and all of those tips. They are genuinely very uh, powerful, I, I think. And I, I hope if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're uh, you got a lot of takeaways from that and you're willing to to start writing copy again. Uh, I want to finish with three questions that are uh, quite quick that I always ask uh, my guests. Uh, so the first okay. one being, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years or 50 years? I think they should spend less time on the tools and more time on understanding people. Amen. What are the top three resources you'd recommend our listeners? Could be anything from book, podcast, conferences, anything. I, I don't often go to conferences and I should go more because I have found that actually meeting real people mm -hmm. <laughs> as opposed to video people or email people is enormously valuable and, and pleasurable. And whether I'm seeing other experts or students or just, I don't know. So I have, I've, over recent years, and it's not just going to a conference, maybe it's having lunch with a colleague or lunches and stuff like that. Um, but I find like my, my business, my work is so tied into the digital world uh, that I forget sometimes uh, the pleasure and value of actually sitting down with real people. <laughs> I, I am a total reading junkie. I, I, I buy more books than I can read. Uh, my, I, everything around my house, I've got books piled up in almost every room. I don't, I think I've ever, only ever read one book on copywriting, which I read back in the late 1970s. I'm always reading around the edges of what I do. So I'm, it might be a book about, you know, it might be psychology. Uh, it might be, actually, I'm just looking at my desk here. Uh, okay. I got a wonderful book here. Can I share a book title with you? Yes, please. All right. Conversational Intelligence by Judith E. Glazer. So she's not a writer. It's not about conversational writer, but she goes into companies uh, because she has all, also reckon, recognized that within companies, uh, managers and their teams and bosses and their boards, basically every company is full of terrible, terrible conversations. And that is hugely damaging to, to companies and their cultures and their performance. So Conversational Intelligence by Judith E. Glazer, nothing to do with copywriting. Uh, but that's the kind of book I like to read because I, I, I just love that stuff. It's, it's, it's a I find that fascinating. Another one, off, off to the side, off to the edges, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so he's a former uh, hostage negotiator for the FBI. Uh, and I guess I love this because it, it, it overlaps so much with what I believe in that he was saying that he was responsible for the shift in the FBI from command and control uh, negotiating with hostage takers to basically getting into conversation, being empathetic, not agreeing with hostage takers, but being empathetic, getting into conversation. He transformed negotiation with terrorists and bank robbers by listening and talking. So he's a, he's a negotiator. She's a, I don't know what Judith Glazer is, but other than the fact that she's a really smart writer on, on what conversation is all about. So, yeah, I just love to read around the edges 
of, of my core competency, as it were, and I kind of suck all that stuff in. And like I say, I'm just surrounded by dozens of books and I haven't even got to half of them yet. Right. Give me another book, the third one, your favorite one, the one that, that you prefer, the one you would give to anyone listening. All right. All right. So here, this is getting a little closer to the center of what I do. Uh, unconscious Branding, How Neuroscience Can Empower and Inspire Marketing by Douglas Van Praet, P-R-A-E-T. Unconscious Branding. Nice. Fascinating, fascinating book. I don't know whether you, that, that, that is like for marketers, because uh, the neuroscience of marketing and what I'm talking about, the, the neuroscience of hardcore push sales as opposed to conversational sales, there's, there's huge, like, there's chemical changes in your, in your head, depending on how you're being sold at or sold to. Uh, so that's a, that's a fascinating book too. Where can listeners connect with you? And before you answer that, Nick, I want to thank you for your time, for going through this exercise with me. You've been very insightful and I, I personally want to thank you for that. So yes, where can listeners connect with you um, and learn more from you? Okay. So I have a website at conversationalcopywriting.com. Uh, your listeners are always welcome to email me at nick at conversationalcopywriting.com. And I've also put together a page at conversationalcopywriting.com forward slash everyone, as in everyone hates marketers, but just forward slash everyone. And uh, there there's a, there's a download, there's access to some videos. And But I'm going to ask for your first name and email address. So you see at heart, I am a marketer. Uh, which which we have to be, we just don't have to be dicks about it. So hopefully if you sign up, what you'll discover is that when I write to you, I write to you in a conversational and respectful way. So you can try me out and see if I'm good for my word. Nice. And by the way, being a marketer, you have to be a marketer without being a dick about it. It sounds like a good headline as well. I'm going to st <laughs> steal Maybe that. Oh, or it could be it could be my, it could be my new book. Could be your How new to book. be a marketer, yeah, without being a dick about it. <laughs> right, uh, Nick. Once again, thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. That's it for another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, and this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode. I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a one-to-one as -one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So... Don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you and you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet and we always uh, can improve. So you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com. Good or bad, please feel free to send me an email. And the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode, please share it to your friends, your colleagues, or whoever might like it. And also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast. Because if you leave us a five-star review, it means that more people will be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker. So thank you so much once again, and au revoir.
And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.